You are listening to a Bible-based message from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, Minnesota. We invite you to join us Sundays at 10 a.m. We also encourage you to visit riverrockchurch.com for more information and resources. Now here is today's encouraging message from Pastor Chris Tyen. Hi, this is Pastor Chris from River Rock Church in Belle Plaine, and today is a full online service. So we've worked it out where we're able to meet at the restaurant every other week while they have a breakfast buffet every other week. We're also working on having outdoor services, but we still haven't found a suitable place for church to meet, but we're getting together anyway. The groups are still meeting, the youth group is still meeting, uh, the Bible quizzers still have uh, some of their season left. At the end of the month, they'll have a Bible quiz meet. I think it's in person, not just online. So we are, we are excited about that. So my microphone right here sits off to the side a bit because if I put it where you normally put a microphone, uh, it's just too much. My voice just booms and uh, so that's my solution. So it looks kind of weird. So I apologize for that. There, I pulled it up a bit. I also want to apologize in advance that I'm tired. So yesterday, about 24 hours ago, we got our COVID shots. Uh, the Johnson & Johnson one, you know, the no more tears formula was what I was looking for. Actually, I was waiting for them to come out with the chewable gummies, but I guess that wasn't working out. And my wife works at the pharmacy, so she knows the guy. But nonetheless, I'm very tired, if you can't tell. I'm very tired. I would much rather take a nap. Right now, I've uh, drinking the Starbucks 2X, twice the caffeine coffee, hoping that I can do a good job here and the Holy Spirit will empower me too. So I want to share today uh, the lyrics of the song in my head that have repeated over and over again since like 1987. And that is, why don't you live so God can use you? Uh, that's the title of my sermon, and it's a total ripoff of a song by David Mullen. It was a song that inspired me before I began in public ministry when I was a volunteer in youth ministry uh, a long, long time ago. So the words are, I've got the vision, I've got the fire, and I want to change the world. What's that, little brother? Do you want to lend a hand and try to heal our land? But you say, where do I begin? Why don't you live so God can use you? Anytime, boy, anytime. You got to live so God can use you. We are the young ones. We are today's dreamers and tomorrow's dreams come true. Let's sing a song about a new generation from every race, tribe, tongue, and nation that'll lift this world out of desperation. So live so God can use you. You got to live so God can use you. Anytime, boy. So that was written by David Mullen, and he was married to Nicole C. Mullen. And unfortunately, uh, Nicole wrote a book about David's abuse and why they got divorced. And um, so messy, but I still like the song. So uh, not going to throw the song out. Actually, they're not even that of relig- uh, original lyrics because uh, there's been um, many others that have uh, sung this Negro spiritual uh, that has been around for, I don't know, like a long time. So, but the question is, is why don't we live so God can use us? And do we want God to use us? It is such a huge opportunity and blessing and privilege to be able to be used by God to help people experience Him, to help people get saved, to help people through their troubles, to pray with people, and then see God answer prayers in amazing ways. And to miss out on that would be to miss out on some of the greatest things in life. You know, the Bible also has other stories of people who have done wrong, uh, fallen away, fallen into sin, and totally missed out. So, um, so even those who write songs like uh, David Mullen um, got off track and maybe he even fell away. I don't know his story. 
But let's not become a sad story like that, or let's not become a sad story like this. So in uh, Philemon uh, verse 23, it says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, verse 24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Demas is in the crowd. Demas is on the team. Demas is one of the fellow workers. I bet his mom's proud. Colossians 4.14, our friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. So Demas is working with Luke. That's awesome. How would you like to go through life and say, yeah, I used to work alongside Dr. Luke. 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Wow. How would you like to have that written about you and put in the Bible? So the deserter, the one who thought the things of the world were better. You know, we do that sometimes. There's things that we want in the world and we'd be willing to give up our faith in Christ or at least our commitment to Christ. It's like, well, you know, I really wanted to follow Jesus and serve him. I was committed to go to church, but then I got that new boat and there's only so much summer in this state. So I'm going to be gone from April until like October with my boat. Uh, I'll listen online, but I won't be able to help serve or do anything in the church. Uh, I'll give online, of course. Yeah, yeah. Or snowmobiles or fishing or you marry somebody who's not a believer or uh, you uh, get involved. Your kids get involved in a sport that practices or plays every Sunday and you totally miss out in on church or Wednesday nights uh, serving in ministry. All those different things. What a tragedy. Uh, what all did Demas miss out on? I bet that was a big life regret. How will your life story end up? Like the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11? Or like Demas? Or worse? Ooh, like Judas. That would be bad. All right. So even worse is somebody who claims to serve the Lord, somebody who claims to know the Lord, and then to have Jesus say, I don't know who you are. So uh, you <laughs> unauthorized service. So stolen valor is what you've got there. So you are not a saint. You are not a Christ follower. I have no idea who you are. Have Jesus say that, that would be terrible. Matthew 7, verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. And Jesus said, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Wow. Hopefully, you're truly saved. Hopefully, you're truly in Christ. Hopefully, Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit bears testimony in your heart that you're truly a child of God. You're seeing some answers to prayer. Uh, you're growing in your faith. You're doing all you can to turn from sin and to live uh, the right life that God has for you. Have you heard of the Great Commission? That's a serious question. Okay. Have you heard of the Great Commission? What is it? In 2018, the Barna Report, translating the Great Commission, uh, did a survey, some research. It says when they asked if they had pre when they asked people if they had previously heard of the Great Commission, half of U.S. churchgoers, 51%, say they do not know this term. It would be reassuring to assume that the other half who know the term also actually are familiar with the passage known by this name, but the proportion is low, 17%. Meanwhile, the Great Commission does ring a bell for one in four, uh, 25%, though they can't remember what it is. 6% of churchgoers are simply not sure whether they have heard the term, the Great Commission. 
You know what the Great Commission is, don't you? We talk about it all the time. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're to go. We're to go out of our house. We're to go out of our cubicle. We're to go across to the lockers on the other side of the school. We're to go uh, maybe to a different state, different country. But we are to go and make disciples. We're to go lead people to Jesus, uh, making disciples of all nations. So here, there, and everywhere. A disciple is a fully devoted follower of Christ. A disciple is also a learner. So we're to be baptizing believers and teaching them to obey everything. And Jesus told us to be baptized. So that would be obedience, uh, to be baptized as a believer. If you haven't been baptized as a believer, let me know, and we would love to baptize you. So teaching them to obey everything while we're empowered by the Spirit in the presence of the Savior. So that is the Great Commission. That's the job that we have before us. That's the thing that we are supposed to do. So the question is, do you want to be used by God? Seriously, do you want to be used by God? Do you want to do His eternally significant work? Would you rather let someone else do it, get their eternal rewards and have the great experience while you do nothing? Or maybe you support it, but you don't do it. Maybe you keep your faith to yourself. Maybe you're an undercover Christian. I don't know. But last week we remembered Christ's sacrifice on the cross and His resurrection. And this week, let's focus on what Jesus wants us to do now. Watch this special week after Easter video right now. Just watch this, okay? We were not created to live stagnant lives, to be stuck, bound, or broken. We were created with a purpose, a calling, a mandate, a mission. Even in these uncertain times, that calling remains the same. To go into the world, to make disciples, to share the love of Jesus. This is the work of Easter. The greatness of God, the power of the resurrection in action. What Jesus did has changed us, made us a new creation, given us an unimaginable hope. Grace has taken root. Mercy has flooded our souls, and the promise of eternity has redefined our everything. So why keep all that to ourselves? It's time to put Easter in motion to make a difference, to share Jesus with the world around us. If your life has been changed, it's time to get to work. All right, that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Makes a lot of sense to follow that up with, uh, what do we do now that Easter is over? 
and we need to serve. We need to give of ourselves. We need to make a difference in the world. So are you excited that you can serve Jesus and others? It's not even that you have to, but you get to. Isn't that exciting that you get to? Aren't you excited to have the opportunity? I mean, does that like get you all excited, get you all motivated, maybe get you a little scared? What do I do? What do I say? How do I do it? Lord, help me. I'm available. Lord, use me. That'd be awesome. So when I lived up in northern Minnesota on the Iron Range, I knew Minnesota's highest winning, uh, Minnesota's winningest basketball coach, Bob McDonald. He went over, his team won over a thousand games in his high school coaching career. 1,012 wins. When I was in Chisholm, I knew him. I was in the locker room and I saw the instructions for the young men. Uh, the rules, the regulations, the things that they were supposed to do. It had everything from uh, school grades to haircuts to dress codes to curfews and bedtimes for them. So um, if you wanted to please the coach to be on the team, to be a winner on his team, you followed his plan. And when you look back on your success, it wasn't because you had to, but because you got to. So Coach McDonald would get young kids in the gym at a really young, early age. On Saturday mornings, the gym, the, high, the, the school gym would be packed full of kids uh, that were practicing basketball, structured practice for basketball. So my son Jeremiah tried it, so decided basketball wasn't his thing, but he was out there with the little kids uh, trying to play basketball. And I remember watching this kid, I think he was like four years old, almost five maybe, but uh, his, uh, I knew his sisters, they were basketball players. I think his dad was a great basketball player. But anyway, so here we're watching this four-year-old out there with serious basketball skills out there. Coach McDonald was training these kids up young. So he knew if he was gonna have a winning team, he needed to start them young. So I did a little internet snooping and found that this kid, I'm not going to share his name, but uh, that he played for Bethel University. He was only 5 feet 11. Uh, that's not that tall for being a, a champion basketball player. But this, when this kid was little, he loved playing basketball. He played basketball through high school for Chisholm. He went to Bethel. He played basketball. And he was uh, on the All-State tournament team, two-time All-Conference, 1,000-point scorer, uh, he started young. He loved the game. He was successful. And we need to be successful for Jesus. We need to live for Jesus, follow his plan, love people like he does, and be excited that we get to serve, that we get to be on his team. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're adopted as children of God, and we are on the team. Uh, what we do with that uh, makes all the difference in the world. So open your Bibles or follow along on the screen. I'm going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So isn't that exciting that God saved us? not because we deserved it, not because we did enough good things, not because we earned it, but because of his grace, because we believed in Jesus by faith, and that there's nothing that we can brag about because it's not like we did it on our own. God did it for us. And then he created us. He made us useful in his hands so we can accomplish his work, so we can do his works. That is so exciting. Number one, live in grace. Number one, live in grace. So uh, God is a God of grace. Uh, God is benevolent. God is kind. God is loving. God is merciful. 
Uh, grace can be defined as God's favor toward the unworthy or God's benevolence on the undeserving. Uh, someone has said that grace can stand for God's riches at Christ's expense. But we don't deserve the way that God treats us by his grace and his mercy, that God is willing to forgive us and bless us abundantly in spite of the fact that we don't deserve to be treated so well or dealt with so generously. You know, God treats us that way and we should treat others that way too. We should treat people with grace. We should treat people with care. You know, when people come into the church that aren't like us, don't talk like us, don't dress like us, do we show them grace? Do we show them unmerited favor like God does? I mean, sure, uh, if they asked us, um, oh, do you think it's okay that I dress this way? We might say, you know what, uh, the Bible says we should shoot for modesty. Uh, or uh, what do you think of this music I'm listening to? Uh, the Bible says that we should focus on, you know, what's noble and pure, uh, those things that are upright, praiseworthy. Uh, that music doesn't sound like that is. Or um, what if an unwed teen comes into the church and you know she's going to have a baby and she's not married and what she did was wrong. How are you going to treat her? Are you going to treat her with God's love or are you going to make her feel condemned? You know, the greatest thing you can do is show her God's love and help her through that time. Make sure that baby gets born. Make sure that baby is well cared for. Make sure that that baby is um, important and that that mom is cared for. So grace, grace, there are so many ways we can show grace. Romans 5.14 says, Paul writes, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? So, when we sin, we deserve the penalty for that. We deserve death. We deserve a separation from God when we sin. But we don't deserve salvation. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything to make ourselves right with God. We didn't do anything to earn it. Uh, we didn't even seek God on our own. He sought us. But yet, Jesus Christ so graceful, so loving, uh, died on the cross, rose again, made it possible for us to be saved. As the recipients of God's grace, Christians are to be gracious to others. Grace is given to us to serve others and to exercise our spiritual gifts for the building up of the church. So next week, or next, in two weeks, I'm going to talk about uh, leadership styles. I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts. I'm going to talk about who God chooses to use and who he chooses not to use, uh, clean vessels. Um, Anyway, Peter writes about this too. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You know, no one's perfect. We're saved by grace. We serve by grace, 
and we show grace to others. You know who I think would be perfect is Charles Spurgeon. Uh, he was the Prince of Baptist Preachers. He, well, he published his sermons. That's why we still have them today. But um, great man of God, uh, great preacher of God. But I think he had spread himself too thin. Uh, he was caught in an error. Uh, he was caught uh, doing something or, um, yeah, in a way that wasn't good. So here's the story. Charles Spurgeon and Joseph Parker both had churches in London in the 19th century. On one occasion, Parker commented on the poor condition of children admitted to Spurgeon's orphanage. It was reported to Spurgeon, however, that Parker had criticized the orphanage itself. Spurgeon blasted Parker the next week from the pulpit. The attack was printed in the newspapers and became the talk of the town. People flocked to Parker's church the next Sunday to hear his rebuttal. Here's what Parker said. I understand Dr. Spurgeon is not in his pulpit today. And this is the Sunday they used to take an offering for the orphanage. I suggest we take a love offering here instead. The crowd was delighted. The ushers had to empty the collection plate three times. Later that week, there was a knock at Parker's study. It was Spurgeon, he said. You know, Parker, you have practiced grace on me. You have given me not what I deserved. You have given me what I needed. Another example of treating people better than they deserve. Uh, you know, sometimes we see these people, uh, these TV preachers, internet preachers, popular book writing preachers, and think they're perfect in every way. They're just people like we are uh, that need grace that need to be shown grace, that are saved by God's grace, that uh, need our prayer. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And God had a plan since the beginning of time. He had a plan to reach out to us and to save us, to reach out to us and for those of us who are saved, to use us to accomplish His purposes. In that, we glorify God. Uh, we praise our Savior through the words we say and the actions that we do. Uh, he has saved us and called us to a holy life. You know, when we choose to do what's right instead of choosing to fall into sin, when we choose to do what's right instead of choosing to do those things that dishonor God, when we choose to do what's right, God can use us. People look at us and want to follow us. We don't want to become a story of somebody who fell into sin or somebody who fell away or somebody who brought shame on the name of Christ. Bill Giovanetti from Pathway Alliance Church in California writes a lot of books about grace, and I've read most of them. And I would, if you haven't read any of his books, look them up. Bill Giovanetti. Anyway, Pathway Alliance Church. He says about grace. <clears throat> he says, grace seeks faith like a heat-seeking missile. In salvation, the act of faith is a raw admission of helplessness. It is abject humility reaching out empty hands. By exercising faith, you acknowledge your inability so that you might rest on Christ's ability. You know, the Lord can empower us to be successful in serving Him. In His grace, uh, we know we can't do it on our own, but when He uses us, we don't boast and say, oh, look what I did for God. Oh, I'm, right with God. I'm right with God because I do so many good things. Instead, we realize our sinful condition and how we're um, 
worthless without him, but we have full worth in him. All right, number two, live by faith. Number two, live by faith. So it's, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Where do we get this faith? Where do we get this faith? The Holy Spirit helped us to have the faith, to place our trust in Jesus, to believe. Um, there's a lot of people that are trying to uh, just wisely talk people into believing. And I think there is uh, a need for apologetics, to be able to defend your faith, to explain your faith. Uh, and there's also a need for prayer, to pray that the Holy Spirit would open their eyes and to help them understand the message, to help them comprehend the message, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. When a person has faith in Jesus, it means that he or she believes who Jesus is, God in human form, and trusts what Jesus has done, died, and resurrected. This faith in the person and work of Christ is what saves. Uh, we talked about that last week, uh, Romans 10, 9, and 10. Uh, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, it says in 1 John 5. So we are familiar with these verses. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life, have eternal life. So the key is belief in response to God's love, and anyone who places his or her faith in Jesus has the promise of eternal life. Without faith in Jesus, then we have no eternal life. We have no salvation. We need to believe in Jesus. So um, to have faith in Jesus means that we reject all the other ways that man tries to come up with for people to be saved. So John 14, 6 says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So faith in Jesus is the only thing that's going to work. Faith in Jesus is the only thing, only message that really makes a difference in the world. Uh, faith in ourself comes up short. Uh, faith in other people can lead to disappointment, but faith in Jesus is our eternal hope and our source of salvation and power. James 2.14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if, not, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Oh, verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by deeds. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. We have to have faith, we have to have deeds. Uh, they go hand and hand. James 2.26 says, the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. What is one of the biggest deeds we can do? What is one of the biggest works we can do? What is one of the most important things we can do? Feed orphans? That would be good. Uh, shelter homeless people? That would be good. Um, tutor children? That would be good. Help pregnant moms? That would be great. Rescue kids from abortion? That would be awesome. But most important is to bring the good news to share Christ with others. Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How can they call on the one whom they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. They go hand in hand. Uh, It bothered me when there was, I'm not sure what it was. Was it a hurricane or uh, some disaster? And the Salvation Army showed up. And there were people on the national news that were um, complaining that they think that the Salvation Army should just hand out uh, food and supplies, emergency supplies, without saying anything about Jesus. It's like, wait a second, that's what the Salvation Army is about. Uh, the Salvation Army thinks it's just as important to provide for your physical needs as your spiritual needs. Hebrews 11.1 1, Faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. Then you read the rest of the Hebrews uh, chapter about the heroes of the faith. So, uh, but created, created. Um, let's, uh, number three, live as God created you. So live as God created you. So, you know, Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created. Uh, God created man and woman. Uh, Hebrews eleven three then says, by faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God gives us life. God created the things that we see. People, people who um, want to reject God, who want to deny God, have to come up with another reason for their existence. So they grab onto evolution. Evolution is a theory, not a fact. There is not proof of evolution. So it's just uh, people's idea. They teach it in school as a fact, and they teach uh, creation as uh, a myth, as, as a theory. Um, as you know, some people posted on the uh, local parent site uh, about the teaching in a literature class about the creation myths. And so um, a myth can be uh, a story passed on from generation to generation, or it can be something untrue. It depends on which definition you're using. Um, so maybe what they're doing in their literature class wasn't as bad as it looks. But um, we need to teach our children about creation. We need to teach our children about sex, about gender, about all of the things that are important uh, foundations of the faith. Um, Whether we send them to the public school, to the private school, or we homeschool them, we should tell our children before some other teacher tells them so that they have a foundation and an understanding. And we should teach our children to be discerning, discerning listeners and thinkers. Nehemiah 9.6 You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. God gives life. God gives strength. God gives energy. God gives opportunity, ability. The Bible says God even gives wealth. So Paul The Apostle Paul is preaching in Athens. He's debating with the philosophers that showed up in Acts chapter 17, verse 24. This is what he says. Paul says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. 
So uh, God created us. He's not far from us. He wants us to seek him. He gives us life and we should follow him. We should serve him. We should submit to his will. We should live and walk in ways that are worthy. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Um, next week, or no, in two weeks, when I get to share again, I wanted to focus on spiritual gifts. And also, uh, you know, there's a bunch of different psychology tests, like the DISC test and things like that. Uh, we have different styles of leadership, um, Sometimes we're wired to, to think differently or to act differently, um, to tie all those together in ways that we should serve. Um, but don't get too excited because I'm not done yet. I was just saying that the next time I want to talk about those things. Um, one way that we can serve is to do good and to be generous, to do good and to be generous. So we can be generous with our time. We can be generous with our money. We can be generous with our resources. We can help others in need. We can do good. We can treat others better than they deserve. We can help others through difficulty. We can help others find hope. 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. We need to be faithful in the little things. D.L. Moody, the one who started Moody Bible Institute, um, started the um, Sunday School Movement. It's interesting they give D.L. Moody the credit for starting the Sunday School Movement, and they give A.B. Simpson credit for starting the Bible College Movement, as far as I know, if I remember correctly. Remember that I'm tired. Uh, T.L. Moody says, A good many are kept out of service of Christ. A good many are kept out of the service of Christ, deprived of the luxury of working for God because they are trying to do some great thing. Let us be willing to do little things, and let us remember that nothing is small in which God is the source. And River Rock Church has been doing that for a while. So uh, through this whole COVID thing, our parking lot gatherings, our outdoor gatherings at the park shelter, our uh, getting together at the restaurant, <laughs> it seems like little things. But then when you look at the history of the church and see how God has been raising up uh, students that go into ministry and see the things that are going on uh, that the church has been doing. Uh, some of those are big things. So, but anyway, faith and deeds go hand in hand. Faith and deeds go hand in hand. Um, William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, uh, many years ago said, faith and works should travel side by side, step answering to step, like the legs of men walking, First faith, and then works, and then faith again, and then works again, until they can scarcely distinguish which is the one and which is the other. Faith and works. That's what we're to do. Faith and works. Walking in grace. What a great way to live. Sometimes, though, we think that if we have enough faith, that we won't have any troubles. If we have enough faith, we won't have any trials. If we have enough faith, life is going to be smooth sailing, sunny days, uh, great days ahead, heaven on earth. Oswald Chambers, in Run Today's Race, wrote, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I am visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned in a fiery furnace. So we go through difficulties in life, and sometimes God chooses to wait to answer our prayers or not to answer our prayers in a certain way. 
so that we can learn something, so that he can work through something, so that he can do something through us that he wouldn't be able to do otherwise. So sometimes when we think God is distant, God is far, God doesn't care, sometimes he knows exactly, well, he always knows exactly what he's doing, and then we can look back and see how God was faithful, how God worked things out together for our good, just like it says in Romans 8.28. But Matthew 5.16 says that you and I need to be doing good deeds. We need to be shining our light. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let our light shine. You know, when we're shining for Christ, people are drawn to us. And hopefully our light is uh, just a reflection of the sun, like the moon. The moon's not a light. The moon just reflects the sun's life, light. And so we need to reflect Jesus, the sun, his light in our lives. And we need to help people see in the dark, in the dark places. We need to help people to um, experience new life in Christ and then to help them to grow up in their faith, to help them grow up as disciples. You know, when we are serving the Lord and we're trying to raise people up in the Lord and they get saved, then we should do what we can to help them grow in their faith, to help them understand the Bible for themselves, to help them understand how to pray, help them understand about getting involved in a church, help them understand about ways that they can serve, ways they can support uh, the ministry, the ministers, the missionaries, and everything else by giving of uh, their finances, um, that whole thing. So, and uh, through the books that I've shared, like the Navigator's book I shared a few weeks ago, um, it's easy to work people, have people work through a workbook and say, okay, you're discipled, you went through the whole book. And uh, so, okay, you're done. But that's not it at all. A true disciple is a learner, and that learner should be motivated to learn on their own. So if I was your life coach, I wouldn't stand there by you every moment of every day and said you would go about your life and make your decisions and we'd get together, talk about it, and I would give you some pointers, give you some tips, uh, give you some methods on how you could do things better, how you could be more effective, um, uh, those types of things. But I would not uh, just run you through a bunch of workbooks and say, oh, you're done. Um, the same thing is true. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, you need to be self-feeding. You need to start growing. And then if you can find someone to invest in your life, that would be great. But I'm going to talk more about that in two weeks. Colossians 1.10 says, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. So, as we think about that, as we think about the ways that we should live, as the things that we should do, um, what could you do? to make yourself more useful and the Lord's servant? What could you do to clean up the sin uh, in your life? What could you do so that you would be ready to be used by God? So next week we meet in person, uh, 116 West Main Street at the restaurant. So Pastor Dan's going to share authentic missions through living an authentic life. Jesus said he would send his Holy Spirit to empower us to be his witnesses, locally, regionally, and globally. Do we feel empowered? The simplicity of Jesus' message is dwarfed by the scope of its effect. Come find out how living an authentic Christian life can impact not only our community, but the world. Learn how the Holy Spirit working through us can expand our reach. On our website, um, you can find a place 
to share your prayer requests at riverrockchurch.com slash pray. You can also uh, find links to listen to past messages online or to get involved in a group or to find out what else is going on. You can also give online. River Rock Church is supported by the giving of those people who attend and care about River Rock Church. So um, if you'd pray about it, if you could support the River Rock Church General Fund, you would help us to keep going during these trying uh, COVID times. So like I said, we don't have a place to meet right now, so we're renting a space, um, paying out money to uh, have a place to meet. And uh, when people help support us, it helps us to have the ability to do more, to share more, and um, even to uh, have resources to make videos like this. So let me pray. Jesus, I thank you that we can be used by you. I think we can follow you. I thank you that we can know you and share you with others. Lord, I pray that you would um, help us to find a, a building of our own and that you do great things at River Rock Church now and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so sing this next song. You have a great week. You've been listening to a message from River Rock Church. River Rock Church exists to help people of all ages connect to Christ and live well lives. W stands for worshiping, E for encouraging, L for learning, and L for loving. God wants you to be well. Visit riverrockchurch.com for our latest news and to access resources to help you and the people you care about live well lives.